Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back. We are live for another episode of the Love Tennis Podcast. It has been a heck of a week, um, just from a very boring professional perspective. I can't remember the last time I've worked this hard. Every morning you wake up, there's been another chaotic news story from down under. Oh, it's, it's all very busy. And the chaos has run over into our podcast this evening. James is uh, struggling with his Wi-Fi. I'm hoping he's going to join soon. And I'm also hoping to be joined by Calvin Betton as well. I can see both of them, but they've not made it here. Here they are. Here they are. Hello. Hello. Oh, I made it. It's exciting. I made it. It's huge. And my Wi-Fi. Welcome. Yeah. Hello. You made me talk for 40 seconds on my own there. I mean, that was that was really tough. Yeah, how's it going? Monday night for you, really sitting in your bedroom talking to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no one wants to hear me sat just doing a monologue. Can you imagine if neither of you could get in and be sat in here for an hour just chatting, hoping this isn't yeah. completely terrible? Probably the worst thing you could having do. Having a cup of tea with Thora Heard. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Um, it would not be worth it. And when there's so much tennis to talk about, George, it would be a shame uh, not to have more than one voice on it. Uh, Has there ever I'm... been a busier week? I, honestly, there's no tennis been... played. For no yeah, tennis, okay. yeah. For no tennis, that's the caveat. With less tennis, I, I don't think so. Um, we should, uh, on a point of order, um, because we spoke about Fran Jones last week, celebrate the news that is now incredibly old, but anyway, celebrated nevertheless. Um, Fran Jones qualifying for her first main draw of a Grand Slam. Um, she ple- she beat Zhang Lu or Lu Zhang, depending on your style guide. Um, six love, six one. Um, in front of her Spanish coach and no one else um, and promptly tap rackets and toddled off but it was a great win um, for a British girl with what feels like quite a big future so best of luck Fran we know that she is in Australia now we know that she made it there we think without anyone on her plane testing positive for Covid she was by no means uh, the only one not to do that I should say lots, lots of planes made it to Australia safely without any covid tests um but as we know now at the moment 
three chartered flights um, from Los Angeles, Abu Dhabi and Doha, respectively, uh, returned positive COVID when they got to Australia. Uh, they'd all tested negative before getting on the flight. They tested positive when they got there and the Victorian health authorities said, no, we don't think you social distance enough on the plane. Uh, so the whole flight will be under 14 days of quarantine. Um, all sorts of names uh, on the list of people who uh, are now locked in their hotel rooms for 14 days. Vicky Azarenka, Sloane Stevens, Sophia Kennan, Angelique Kerber, Bianca Andreescu, Kane Shikori, Heather Watson. Um, you'll note that many of those names are female players. Uh, it's because of the flight from Abu Dhabi, I think I'm right in saying, it was almost exclusively um, female players. There can't have been many male players on that flight, if any. Um, it means that there are 72 players currently in full quarantine. Remember, there are two types of quarantine in Australia at the moment. The one where you can go and practice at Melbourne Park or in Adelaide, um, and the one where you cannot leave your room for 14 days, even if you want to get someone to wash your hair. Um, more on that later. Uh, it has been, George, as you mentioned, one of the most chaotic sort of 72 hours that I can remember in tennis. Sometimes this happens when one player pulls out of a big tournament, you know, Murray and his hip injury or Djokovic and his shoulder or elbow. This has just kept on going and going. Yeah, I mean, when when we finished the pod last week or after that, you know, the first, there were two stories early in this week. I was thinking, wow, they're really good topics to talk about. One was Fran Jones again, you know, really great story about her qualifying. We'd all had a big interview interview kind of chat with her done some great stories about that um and then of course you had andy murray pulling out of the australian open well is he gonna make it or not sort of type story uh, but couldn't get on these flights and you're thinking oh it's not going to get much bigger than that before the tournament is it and then all of a sudden i mean it's just absolute chaos isn't it i mean i i think what's amazing about this story is the kind of the lack of necessarily like the big name focus, like you're talking about here, you know, we're talking about Roger Federer pulling out of the Australian Open. That's a big story because it's Federer or Murray struggling to get on a flight. That's a big story because it's Murray. This is just such a widespread issue for all the players. And there are so many different strands to it. Still bringing in the big names as well. But I, honestly, I just can't remember anything like it. And who could have possibly predicted it would be like this in tennis, that they'd take it so well? Uh, yes, I think we for several weeks now have kind of been suggesting that perhaps uh, locking a load of tennis players in hotel rooms for any extended period of time and not blocking their Wi-Fi uh, would probably end quite badly. The social media kind of torrent hasn't stopped. I mean, of course, because it's in Australia, we pretty much wake up and catch up with eight hours of tennis players being awakened on Instagram. Um, <laughs> Calvin, which, which individual has infuriated you the most this week? It's it's uh, a long short list. Um, yeah, prob- well, it's Bernard Tomage's girlfriend, not even a tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I mean, but I got a message from um, actually from Luke, uh, who was on the podcast the other week, and he sent me a message this morning saying, "Like, can you think of anything worse than being in isolation with Bernard Tomage's girlfriend?" <laughs> and, and, I mean, it was phenomenal. That, that's gonna when it comes to the end of year awards, we'll I guarantee we'll be talking about the hair washing incident. Uh, so, for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, you need only go to any of our Twitter timelines. Uh, but essentially, I think her name is Vanessa Sierra, 
Uh, I think she was on Australian Love Island, and she is Bernard Tomic's um, girlfriend. I don't know what her profession is. Um, I apologise for that, but I think she's a professional celebrity. Um, anyway, <laughs> she is she is isolating with Bernard Tomic because they flew from Qatar, where he had been playing qualifying. He absolutely, by the way, he played nine sets in qualifying, which is quite impressive, and I think three tie breaks. So he had an absolute scrap to get in. Anyway, he then got quarantined. And um, his girlfriend posted an eight-minute vlog on YouTube uh, <laughs> yesterday, I believe. Or I get confused about what day it is in Australia. I think it, it was. It, it is today, technically. Yeah. Right. Technically today, but of course it's tomorrow. Technically today. Yeah. Even though it's yesterday somewhere. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yesterday, there today. The highlights of this vlog, I think, were saying one: this is what happens to my hair uh, because I don't wash my own hair. I have a hairdresser do it twice a week, which in itself, I mean. Calvin, you'll understand. I'm sure you're a man who has a close relationship with yes. a hairdresser. Very much so. <laughs> presumably from the 80s. Very um, much so. <laughs> she, she also complained about the food. Now, the complaining about the food has been a common strand of certainly the early couple of days of quarantine. And I think not completely unreasonably, to play devil's advocate, you know, these are professional athletes. They do go through a lot more calories in a day. And some of them have very specific diets that they stick to quite rigidly. Tomic, for example, I think is a vegan at the moment um, because there was something about mayonnaise and a sandwich. So kind of to, to be generous, while she was doing it in an incredibly obnoxious and extremely entitled way, you know, when you consider all the other suffering that's going on at the moment, this is kind of one of those things where I think, well, actually, maybe these guys should be given a little bit of credit. George, you disagree, I assume? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Half Some of the plates that I've seen going up have just been sushi, so I don't really understand what they're all complaining about on that. Yeah, she did <laughs> one. The other one she, said, she, look, she looked in the bag of sushi and said, oh, your sushi looks okay today. Mine, <laughs> yeah, I'm not eating that. And then touched into her matcha latte or something to be hit. But can I just say, I mean, I cannot believe we're skirting past the best part of this, which was the complaints over the bathroom. I mean, that that's my favourite bit. Uh, you've, you've read this quote, right, presumably? Um, oh, James is shaking at me. It. You've not seen it? All right, okay. This is a, a quote from Bernard Tomic's girlfriend. Also, there's only one bathroom. I've never pooped in front of Bernard. I don't know oh. what I'm going to do. It's day three. I just can't do it in front of him. I've not broken that barrier in the relationship yet, and I hope I don't have to. Yeah, that that was um, it was definitely weird, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> absolutely weird. I mean, I mean, you know, when James asked me who's who's wound me up most, that was the sort of comedy one. But the one, the, 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 as as usual in this in this situation, in a in a field of idiots, Novak Djokovic just stepped up. To be <laughs> by, by making sort of weird sort of hostage type he, he actually said my list of demands it was like some one of the worst series of 24 <laughs> I, I think no like Djokovic would make a great baddie in 24 like I well think, true like, yeah. just yeah. for the rest um, in the in, yeah go on go sorry on, I, I just, just to outline before Calvin you go off the deep end which you, you're absolutely entitled to do just anyway, who doesn't quite know this story, Novak Djokovic, we understand, it's been quite widely reported now, wrote a letter to Craig Tiley with a, a series of what I sort of generously called in copy requests. Um, but as the self-appointed head of the tennis uh, union that he created, 
he's perfectly within his own rights that he created to make these requests. Um, some of which kind of reflected the complaints that players were making, one of which regarded food, which we've already spoken about, um, but then kind of went into a different direction, talking about potentially renting private homes with tennis courts to allow players to train. Um, also, allow players to get a, a shorter quarantine period if they could test negative for COVID. And my main problems with it were, were twofold. One, the private homes with tennis courts thing. I don't know if Melbourne's got... 250 homes with tennis courts maybe it does but i suspect people are living in them uh, which might make them rather unrentable i don't know how many airbnbs in melbourne have tennis courts attached and um, my second point is that you can't just test positive test negative sorry for covid and be negative for covid the two things are different because of the incubation period you could have been on a plane with someone who had covid walk off that plane test negative and still end up developing COVID and thereby spreading it because, you know, Novak Djokovic wants you to be allowed to go out and get a coffee. So I'm afraid it's a fatal misunderstanding of, of the virus. I don't know. Novak may have his own kind of point of view on the science. Um, we know that the world, according to Novak, is a pretty unique place. Um, so in that sense, uh, he, he may have his own views. But I thought some of the requests were not totally unreasonable. But some of them were just just completely unfounded. I thought, George. I, I think it's you know what you're forgetting, James, is that this man's got a great history of organising tournaments. Um, <laughs> he he knows exactly what to do to uh, avoid uh, a COVID outbreak. Um, but then he should know. He should know that he can write to Craig Tiley asking for all these things as much as he wants. Craig Tiley's <laughs> got very little to do with it. You know, <laughs> Craig Tiley would love to let players out of quarantine earlier. But realistically, it's the Victorian health authorities. And of course, as soon as he got to the Victorian Premier, Mark Andrews, he, he, you know, and the residents of Melbourne, it should be said, have been very, very tetchy about this. And understandably so. You know, it's a COVID-free city and 1,200 people have just flown in, half of whom seem to have COVID or not care if they don't. And Mark Andrews took absolutely no time in saying, yeah, you can ask all you want. The answer is no, you're not getting special treatment and that the COVID commissioner mirrors that. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of people have been in my mentions today being like, oh, Novak is arguing for other players and stuff. It's not just for him, blah, blah, blah. But I think what people just <laughs> completely misunderstand is like how badly these guys are missing the room, like, or misreading the room, rather. You know, these players are incredibly fortunate in the first place that they were given this potential privilege to be able to go out and practice for five hours a day. That that is a massive bit of leeway for a country that so many people have been unable to get home for so long um, due to kind of restrictions of allowing people into the country. And they've managed it so well and kept death so down with these kind of strict protocols. Mm. Um, so it, all that's being asked of them is to do what every other person who's come into this country had to do. And the fact of the matter is these guys are having their hotel rooms paid for them. They're getting the, food paid for them and if they don't like the food that comes with the hotel they're getting another 200 australian dollars a day to pay for more food outside of the hotel which they're complaining but they're about not, as George, well they're not allowed to have it delivered after 10 p.m i know that, but that, a, i know it's an absolute liberty. horror story and on top of that bearing in mind that now don't get me wrong or i, I would go to australia just for that right now you know <laughs> bit of sun free yeah. hotel and i'd sit in there for two weeks for a bit of sun whatever that's fine but on top of that, they're then getting £55,000, even if they're losing the first round. 
Who gives a crap if it's going to be unequal or not? That is literally unequal by definition. You're sitting in a room for two weeks to earn more than most people will earn in a year. It's absolutely astonishing. I don't have any sympathy with any of them whatsoever. And the ridiculousness of any of these players to come out, whether they're swinging for other players or not, and actually criticise this unbelievably unfair situation in life in general, just has really boiled my blood this week. And more so for Australians who can't get home. I just think it's they're so far removed, aren't they? It should be pointed out as well that like there are Australians in Sydney who can't get home to Melbourne at the moment because I believe uh, Sydney's currently known as a COVID hotspot in Australia, which by their standards is about like eight, you know, eight cases or something. But essentially, the border between Sydney and Melbourne is shut, and so there are some people who pretty much went up there for work for the day and are stuck on the other side because it is firmly shut. That's how seriously Australians take it, and quite rightly so. Um, Calvin, I can't imagine there's much to disagree with on what George says there, but we did kind of predict it. Yeah, and also it was their choice; they didn't have to go. You know, mm. They could have. They could have just decided. Yeah, you know, even if it's from a tennis point of view, I don't think my tennis is going to be great after two weeks of this. And yeah, you know, it was up to them. The, the one sort of I do have a bit of sympathy with them about the food, although I did not know about that they could order in uh, and add such a budget of two hundred pound a day. The tennis players will always, they are quite, it's not picky on food. They they need to know that they're getting good food and even sort of from futures level down, players will go and things like they'll stay in some pretty crap accommodation as long as they can get their hands on decent food and enough right. decent food. Um, and some of the pictures I've seen, not just from the Aussie Open, in fairness, uh, some of the pictures where, and for the last couple of months, where people have had to, uh, quarantine in hotel rooms and isolate in hotel rooms the food that they've been sent is pretty grim and i think mm. that that could have been improved on i've I've seen pictures i've had pictures sent to me of like a juice box a banana and um a sort of and a yogurt and that type of thing and and i mean in one, britain that'll feel that'll feed a child for two <laughs> weeks according to the <laughs> well true yeah true um yeah just you know and i, th- I think it's if i'm gonna sort of look at the other side of the coin on it i think that's one thing that there's no real reason why they shouldn't be able to get decent food from the hotel um mm. but i don't know how bad it is though you I, i'm not going to yeah. trust bernard tomich and his girlfriend in terms of like <laughs> what, what the standard of food is like i'm from barnsley and i get the impression that that hotel probably serves better food than i can get any takeaway at the minute <laughs> i mean also it, you know and again i kind of agree with you on the food but you can take pictures of food and it looks quite rubbish. Yeah, I, I love, the, love the food that I cook looks awful, but I assure you it, it tastes okay. Um, there's a reason I am the shape I am. The, 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 the weirdest one was the weirdest one was I, a, a mate of mine who is a coach sent, um, tweeted a picture yesterday of something of his breakfast, and he genuinely didn't know what it was, and I don't know <laughs> what it was. It, it was sort of some some kind of flaky yogurt type thing in a dish. And it, it it looked pretty grim, and basically that had just been what he'd got for breakfast. It was that and the a words, banana. The word flaky and yogurt should not be in the same yeah. sentence. I'll, I'll try and find the picture. Um, <laughs> it's not a good, and, yeah, not it, a good, uh, good version. Um, if we can move on to one of Novak Djokovic's other requests, he was talking about um, fitness equipment for all players in all rooms. Um, Francesca Davis, 
uh, in the discussion section says they do have bikes in their room as well, not like they can't do non-tennis fitness on top. I think this is a really good point. Um, with a reasonable amount of equipment, and, and, you know, it varies how much space you've got in a hotel room, but we've seen plenty of brilliant videos, even in the last couple of days, of players making do. I've seen single beds up against walls and tennis balls being hit against them. Um, I saw uh, Stefano Sissipas today playing with those kind of misshapen rubber balls that you sometimes get at cricket training uh, to practice his reflexes. Um, I've seen Denis Shapovalov jumping in and out of cones outside his bathroom. You know, there's a lot you can do in terms of training and fitness. And yeah, I know uh, Francesca's absolutely right. I've seen players who've now got bikes in their room so you can keep up your cardio levels. I mean, you know, there is a lot you can do. I, I do most of my working out in the room I'm currently in, which is frankly, my mum's sewing room. And, you know, it is just about workable. And, yeah, to that point, I mean, it it is worth actually reiterating that a lot of these players are just getting on with it and seeing kind of the funny side of it. Um, You know, Pablo Cuevas has entertained me quite a lot. He was uh, surfing on his mattress. That was quite (laughs) quite an impressive core exercise. Um, You know, Potinsivas complained a bit, but she's provided some entertaining content with like a mouse running around her room and stuff. You know, there's been... There's been some funny sides of it, but also people who are... The vast majority of the players are actually just kind of keeping their heads down and getting on with it. And so I wouldn't like to tar them all with the same brush, but unfortunately mm. a few rotten apples have uh, spoiled the, the batch. Yeah, I, I think that that's completely reasonable to say. Um, but a lot, of the, a lot of the points that have been made is that this is now an unfair tournament. That you've now got 72 players who are not going to hit a tennis ball in a court for uh, the next 14 days and they're only going to have a week of hitting before the Australian Open you're going to have another group of players probably a bit bigger size about 100, 120 who are going to have four or five hours of training at Melbourne Park if they can organise it properly I know they've cancelled some of the training because of logistical issues and then you've got this group of six players up in Adelaide uh, Simona Halep, Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams and then Djokovic, Nadal and team who are playing an exhibition there at the end of January. So they've been up there with, as it seems, larger entourages, better hotels, gyms in the hotels. So what you've got is kind of this sliding scale of how much and what sort of preparation players are allowed to do. Uh, For me, I think the obvious thing to do is to delay the tournament. Now, I know they've already delayed it by three weeks, but frankly, if I were a player... And you said to me, once you get out of quarantine, you can pretty much live a normal life here. I'd, I'd be like, mate, delay the tournament by a month. I'll have, I'll have a month in Australia going to the pub and going to the beach and having a hit and doing some proper pre-season. Is he, honestly, it's such a great opportunity. Now, I know probably we are getting into the realms of weather being a bit different in Australia, but they're also talking about the heat rules. So, frankly, if it's a little bit cooler, great. I, I think it's a perfect opportunity to push this back or, or even tack a couple of tournaments on the end with a bit of cash. They'd sell the tickets. People are desperate to watch tennis at the moment. I mean, my, the, the flip side for me in terms of it being fair, you know, I think if, if the idea was they come out of quarantine and bam, next day you're going out for best of five sets, I think maybe, yeah, you could say that, but they've got a whole week in between the two. Uh, I'm not being funny. Like, Players all the time are turning up to these tournaments, having come back from injury. 
they'll get ready for a week. You know, this sort of stuff happens. I just think there is a long enough gap to get ready for it. You can't mitigate every single circumstance ever. Like Andy Murray still wants to go there, pretty much quarantine the whole time and then play the next day. You know, I wouldn't say we need to push the tournament back with him. And I know that, okay, there's a bigger chunk than that. But even so, I think the fact there's a decent enough window before that sort of mitigates it for me. Um, Calvin could probably give a better idea from the professional side. I was going to say, I mean, trying to prepare a player in seven days for a Grand Slam, is that a reasonable amount of time? Having not hit a ball two weeks? Um, It's a difficult one. I mean, I I can sort of sympathise with some of the players. I'll, I'll give an example that when I was younger, two of my best mates were ranked, they were a couple of years younger than me, but they were ranked one and two in the country and they were both top 20 juniors in the world at the time. They were both sort of, if if you'd seen them both full, fully playing and on peak form, they were both excellent players and there was nothing to pick between them. If one of them didn't pick a racket up for three or four weeks and start hitting balls, you wouldn't have known any different. And the other one, if he had three or four days off, he'd be framing balls and he'd be all over the shop. So it just affects it affects different players differently. Um, and they were both very talented players as well, those guys. So it doesn't depend on who's a more natural player or not. Um, it, it just depends on, on each of the individual players. I, I think they're going to struggle to, to, to knock it back. I don't think there's any chance that they will. Um, I think it might affect some of the stuff that goes on after because I know that they've got some other... Um, there's definitely a WTA tournament straight after. I think George will confirm that. Um, I'd heard because I'd heard that some of the players are going on to staying over to play it. Um, yeah, I, it, it's not ideal, but again, it's. It, I don't want to sound like a British tennis player interviewee, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like like what this is. This is what we've got. The alternative is that we don't we don't have one. You know, so it, I think if you gave the players the option of playing it or not under these circumstances, they they're probably going to play it. Their worst case scenario is that they're going to come away with fifty five grand. So um, yeah, they've just got to get on with it and play it. And uh, you, you know, they're, they're doing little bits. I've seen them in the rooms and that kind of thing. I, I must admit, I'm getting a bit bored of it now. Seeing players, it's all a bit following on from each other. I'm I'm just bored of seeing players sort of running around the t- doing figure <laughs> of eights around the two balls in their room. Like, yeah, we've seen you doing it, and then volleying against the window. That that kind of stuff's a nonsense. Nobody volleys <laughs> like that. Like <laughs> making out of their training. Like who volleys, who volleys at a soft pace? The only one I found interesting was Pablo Cuevas. He was absolutely leathering that ball into the mattress. Yeah, um, that that you was pretty cool. Be in the room next door, wouldn't you? Yeah, like, that if, was pretty I'm... cool. But then the others, I, I just you know, I don't know who's you know, just just bin it off. I don't, not a fan of that. That that that's just reminding me. There was one of the most humorous comments I read um, today on Twitter. Was like saying, "Oh." I'd hate to be someone quarantining in the uh, hotel room under Djokovic. He'll be bouncing the ball for 10,000 times a day. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, some of it, some of it just looks like, and 95% of it for me looks like they're, they're not training in their rooms when they're doing that. It's like they've gone to somebody, they've gone, they've set their camera up. It's influencer behavior. They've set their yeah. camera up just to make it look like they're training. And I'm just not on board with that. I just think it's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I rang my dad earlier today, uh, who lives in Beirut, and they are under full lockdown. You are not allowed out of your house under any circumstances. Uh, if you want, like, you have to ring the supermarket if you want food, basically. 
and uh, my dad's a big runner like he, he runs every day and has done for 50 years and he has set up a he says oh it's good though because my flat's quite long and narrow so i've set up a bit of a circuit around it and he says he does about 70 circuits of the flat it takes him about 22 minutes or no <laughs> i don't know he's basically spends 25 minutes running around his flat before he does weights so you right. know everyone's kind of coping yeah, yeah, he is weird. It's, it's <laughs> not a normal man. Um, the, the other thing that I heard kind of someone else discussing, which I thought was quite interesting, is the idea of maybe tweaking the format of the, the tournament. Um, you know, maybe not making the first couple of rounds best of five or moving people who've been under quarantine into night matches, you know, which... I can kind of get behind. Like, I know some people will say, oh, it's not traditional. Grand Slam's best of five. Like, There's nothing traditional about this, mate. That's the whole point. It's a completely atraditional situation. Why not be a bit flexible with it? I think the... I think I saw Craig Tiley talking about kind of accommodating the start of the tournament, suggesting players who've been in quarantine might be given... They'll try and give them, like, the second day, but... That's going to be quite difficult if all these players draw people who haven't been in that situation. You know, they yeah. can't control the draw. So, yeah, from from that side of things, it'll be pretty tricky. I, I, <clears throat> I mean, again, best of five, you could, you could reduce it, I suppose, first couple of rounds. Um, you could do it for the whole tournament, I guess. But for me personally, I still think they're able to keep a moderate level of fitness in their rooms. And I still think they'll have a week where they can go out and practice fully between the two. And yeah. they've presumably just come from the off season and should be quite fresh. Uh, I, I, I really don't see it as being this great issue that some are painting it as, but maybe that's just me getting cynical in my old age. Well, Look, if, if, a pl- if a player gets a sort of minor injury before a tournament, like say a they, they roll their ankle and they can't run for a couple of weeks, they're not going to pull out of the tournament because of that. And they're not going to yeah. think it's going to change. So their fitness, their fitness is not going to go down in two weeks, right? Yeah. It, it, it's just not. You know, they they're probably it's more the routine I think that they're bothered about. But anyone, a player's not going to get unfit in two weeks. It's just unfeasible yeah. to think that that happens. So I'm not buying that. I think I can see some argument on the well, they've got to practice, they've got to hit more balls. They're fair enough on that, but the fitness element, not for me, it's, it's a non-entity. Um, I just wanted to make because I can see I'm losing this argument two to one. Um, <laughs> I want to make I want to make one more point on the whole quarantine thing, and you know I've been reading a lot of, and listening to and watching a lot of the Australian media um, this week, and, and the Australian media can get quite high horsey, um, especially when it comes to overseas sports stars. We've seen it with uh, the stuff that's been going on in the Test match uh, with Tim Payne and Steve Smith and the Indian guys. We've seen it when England have been over there playing cricket, and we've seen it with Novak Djokovic this week. You know, they they don't take kindly to overseas sports stars telling them what to do. But what it kind of boils down to for me for this, and because in the wider world, people are now saying to me, why are they having this tennis tournament? It sounds like lunacy. In the end, nothing has actually gone wrong yet. There have been no community transmissions of COVID-19 as a result of the Australian Open. They've had, I think, 12 consecutive days in Melbourne with zero new cases in the community. The only cases in the whole state are in hotel quarantine. So at the moment, the system is working. And, and, and for me, if we get to the end of this two-week quarantine period and they all emerge out of their chrysalises, 
into the sun and none of them got COVID and none of the hotel staff caught COVID and there's no spread. I really don't think anyone can say, well, you shouldn't have had this open. It caused such disruption. No, mate. It's going to put millions of dollars into a struggling economy. Yeah, I mean, look, the the, the only thing I really get from the annoyance is, and I've said it a few times already, so I won't harp on about it for too long. It's just the fact that so many people have been stuck out of Australia for so long that there's been a backlog, you know. And, and what I would add on that is that this is a this hasn't stopped that process at all either. Like they've get granted separate visas totally to this to add on top of that number. So while I can understand that annoyance again from the tournament perspective, I understand why that's not seen as a massive trade off. Um, and ultimately, as you're rightly saying, you know, the proof will be in the pudding on this. But as long as there are no transmissions into the community, no lives lost or whatever then yeah, it, it will be seen as an okay thing. But I, I guess at the minute, it's just highlighting the worst aspects of the personalities of tennis players who are who have to be inherently selfish to get where they are. And that is also worth stressing as well. The, these aren't normal citizens. They're people who kind of given, devoted their lives to pursuing hitting a ball. You know, it's you have to be incredibly disciplined and self, inward looking to be this good at tennis. Um, so it's not that surprising it's been like that. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Avoiding that sort of thing will will go down well from my perspective. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. Yeah, um, and I agree with both of you. Really, it's you know it's a bit of chaos, but the the eye of the storm it's uh, it, it's working. It seems the only the thing. Sorry, I'm just moving a bit off topic back to what I was just talking about there, James. Is that I, I meant to say earlier about the fitness element? The only sort of concern I would have is with the heat. In that for players coming who haven't been to Abu Dhabi that type of thing, sort of, for specifically, I guess, for the British guys who couldn't even go and train in Spain. For mm. example, when we go, if if I was to take a trip to somewhere like Thailand or Asia or Australia, that type of thing, purely for to acclimatise to the conditions, we would go two weeks before the tournament. Um, so to basically to come from Britain and then be in a hotel room, which will be air-conditioned, and then to only have a week to acclimatise to what is extreme heat, out yeah. there that could be tough i think is is there anyone in that position though because dan evans dan evans, dan evans Murray. no but he, no 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 but they're not in strict quarantine oh see that's what you know what i mean oh they, they right. get five hours out yeah. their hotel room. do you know what i mean i don't th- i, I right, can't okay. think of a single player who's in okay. that position in two weeks of quarantine because right. they've come from doha abu dhabi and los angeles okay what i don't know the climate well, in los angeles but I, I i'm just saying just to play devil's advocate on that point i don't think it's as yeah. bad for this okay. these groups la this time of year is not that warm i mean it's not cold but you know it's not i, I saw a picture today of um someone i met in new york actually i won't explain how but um they, <laughs> i think i know how <laughs> but they they want to people on that trip <laughs> they're, they're out that way and it looks beautifully sunny and, and warm not 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 quite i'd imagine australian temperatures but it, it looked pretty good there certainly better than here so it's my the sympathy humidity remains well. low it's the humidity as well research on this the los angeles <laughs> it's it's, it, it's going to be 22 in la tomorrow yeah it's all right it's, it's not quite as good but it's, it's all right pretty, it's pretty the humidity summer. as well though it's the humidity it's not it's not so humid right. in la and that type yeah. of thing that that's what the main thing is in those type of places um okay. but yeah it's I, like george says i don't know if there is anybody but they they would have my sympathy if they've only got a week um from from a hotel room to playing a match 
the the only person there would be would be Andy Murray, of course, if he is allowed to go. Yeah, um, and that 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 situation, by the way, just as a little update, um, from what I've been told today, still waiting for an answer from the Australian bosses, but the, it is their intention to go if mm. they can. So we'll we'll have to watch that situation. I imagine this sort of media frenzy isn't helping his case in terms of getting things lower down Craig Tiley's list of priorities but yeah. um, we'll see but, well it's okay though because I mean has Andy Murray ever really acclimatised to the heat like he's from Dunblane you know I mean <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I think he could spend six months in Australia and, and he's still going to look very hot uh, the other thing I, I feel like we've just not really mentioned on this that's kind of an interesting strand compared to the kind of outward rage into the players and the players kind of outrage at the situation is the kind of inter-player disdain at the minute as well from the group in Adelaide. Well, absolutely. Um, I I think this is a really interesting aspect of it and part of, again, why Djokovic going out to bat for a lot of these people has caused so much unrest. I mean, you saw Stan Wawrinka publicly kind of laughing saying, ah, oh, saying this from Adelaide. It's kind of like saying it from the ivory tower, isn't it, at the minute? You yeah. know, look at me, I'm the people's man with my entourage of 10, along with Serena yeah, and Nadal and I don't, know what, I don't know what the Serbian for let the meat cake is, but that's kind of the, the, the kind of gist of it, isn't it? Is that, you know, these, these guys and girls have much softer quarantine, for want of a better phrase, in Adelaide, they've got better conditions, they've been allowed to take more entourage, and realistically, things are just a bit easier for them. So, as you said, and you mentioned earlier, he's standing up for them, but he kind of, all the moral high ground that he's now kind of scrambling to regain, he has already lost by kind of carving out this, you know, this, and, and to be fair, I've absolutely no doubt that when these discussions were first going on, the top of Craig Tidy's list were Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, Serena Williams. And he's rung them all up and said, what can I do to make sure you come? And, and Roger's been pretty open about this. And he was like, they offered me all sorts of things. I could bring the whole lot of them and I just still didn't fancy it. And I actually no doubt that out of that phone call, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll arrange an exhibition in, oh, I don't know, where's nice, Adelaide. <laughs> and we'll just stick you all up there. There'll be more room, you know, the more hotel room, it'll be easier. And we'll do that. And I'm sure they've all gone, yeah, all right, that sounds fine. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's corrupt or anything. I'm just saying that that's how tennis tournaments work. There are good players who sell lots of tickets and there are bad players who don't sell very many tickets. And there are lots of people who don't sell very many tickets and very few people who do. And they're the ones you want at your tournament. So the reality is you're going to offer them the better end of the deal. It's not very pleasant. It's, it's, it's kind of the problem with tennis overall. And the world, perhaps. Well, yes. <laughs> but, but it's just it's just true. And it, it's an unpleasant reality. But the, the economic situation for the tournament and for the country is such that they're just having to be ultra-pragmatic about it. And I think it's desperately, you know, I feel desperately sorry. But on the flip side, he has skewed all the prize money towards what, you know, you might ungenerously call the shit munchers. Um, you know, the world, world number 75 is going to make you a lot more money at this year's Australian Open than he ever would have done before um, in terms of expected earnings. So, you know, may, maybe we just kind of accept that Djokovic is in his ivory tower and hope he doesn't shout about it too much. 
Yeah, but I think, I think that's a pretty succinct summary, to be honest. I mean, that, that, as you say, is the cold, hard reality. These guys are the most important things to the tournament. That That's why there's still hope Murray will get out there, because he's important you know, as well. And as we're seeing, you know, they will move heaven and earth to get these big guys there. So that, that remains Murray's hope, bringing it back to a British perspective. Mm. Chartering a jet for £150,000, that, that's his main <laughs> hope if you ask me, but uh, that's, that's just because I have really oddly specific knowledge about jet charter. Um, should we talk about some actual tennis? Uh, because there was some last week, you know, obviously the uh, qualifiers in uh, Doha and Dubai and the WTA tournament in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I've been getting those confused all week. I'm just not used to having three different tennis tournaments happening in three different Middle Eastern cities at the same time. Um, our champions, first champions of this year, uh, Arena Sabalenka uh, won the WTA title. She's now up to 15 wins in a row because she won in Ostrava and Linz at the end of last year, off the top of my head. Um, very good. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I mean, she's, she's in absolutely red-hot form. Uh, George, I know you've got other things to say about Arena Sabalenka. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll look to the other side of the Atlantic first, where there was a, a tournament in Del Rey. Um, Hubert Herkash winning uh, there, beating Sebastian Corda in the final. Um, Hubie, as I believe he's uh, he's known to his friends, um, he's he's got a bit about him, hasn't he, George? Yeah, he does. Um, you've, bringing up Del Rey, you've just reminded me uh, that at the start of the week, I was I was joking about having a twat of the week competition for the year. Um, and Hubert Hercat, not Hubert Hercat, excuse me, Christian Harrison. Yeah, that was that was within this week as well. I mean, that was unbelievable. Some of his uh, kind of just, outrageous yeah. mask talking. Anyway, but the, the world's moved on since then. But uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's in the bad list as well. But yeah, Hubert Hercat, um he's a guy who's often been. People say he looks a bit like Murray on court with the way he plays his backhand. He wears a cap, um, kind of similar frame. <clears throat> I think he's a really good player. He's a, a nice player. Good situation for Poland at the minute with uh, Sviontek and him. Um, I've, yeah, I, I think it's he's someone I think is who we're going to talk about maybe later as well in terms of one of these players who could potentially have mm. a big year next year. I, I don't know his ranking at the minute, but I imagine he's around top 30. Um, God, now you're asking. I'm pretty sure he's seeded for the Australian Open. So, yeah, yeah. I, think he, I think he is. Uh, I think he's like 33. Top I think 30. he just... Yeah, he, he, he's maybe 33 or 35 in terms of ranking because he's snuck in. He's in this lovely group of players, actually, when you, I was looking at the rankings, of the seedings the other day, sorry. And there's just kind of, between about 22 and 32, there are just so many really decent young players kicking around who, you know, are obviously going to have a bit of a kind of draw. And you kind of think, this is going to be a very weird Australian Open. You know, I'm fully expecting... Like that year Kyle got to the semis, you know, the Hyung Chungs and the uh, Tennis Sangrins of the world, fully expecting that kind of semi-final lineup. And there's this whole group of, yeah, Ugo Umber, Filip Kranovic, Hubert Herkash, Taylor Fritz, you know, guys who got a bit about them and could get on a run. And Herkash is going to come in in, in absolutely perfect form, um, having won that tournament. He beat Cam Norrie in the semi-finals quite convincingly. He beat Tommy Paul, uh, John Isner, I think, as well, for the second time. Have I got that wrong? You were shaking your head at Tommy Paul. I was shaking my head at Cam Norrie. I thought he lost a quarter. Yeah, he lost oh, a quarder. Oh, okay, yeah. He lost a quarter. Actually, which you know was... what I've done now? I've just rattled off the guy's quarter, quarter beat. 
because he's yeah. <laughs> in there as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, just quite exciting to have you know someone who I think a lot of people, as you say, have kind of picked out as a, a guy who's got a bit about him. Um, he's twenty four now, so yeah, you know, twenty four next month. Yeah, I, I see him comfortably being a top ten player. I think he's someone who has the potential to probably be top five. Um, wow. Do I well, think serious? he's going to be... I, I, I do think he's a serious player and I think he'll be quite a consistent player. Um, okay. You know, I think, yeah. he'll pick, I think he'll pick up a lot of points all year round once he kind of finds that rhythm. I, I like... I think he's got a very solid base to his game. Um, yeah. It, and, you know, we're going to have this period after the big, big three go where consistency is going to be pretty key you don't necessarily need to you know to be, to be in the top three you probably won't need to be winning a slam a year to do that really yeah. it's going to be a little more spread out um so I, I think he's someone we can see around that height and who knows if, if you get up to that sort of level believe you belong put the work in there's no reason mm. why you can't go even higher um he's only once won a second round grand slam match so that's kind of i think probably second week is Maybe a target for him, you know, at this Australian Open draw with Stan notwithstanding. He's actually uh he's actually got a number twenty six seed, which I think is basically the same as a number thirty one seed in, in practical terms. But I, I always say this about players with that sort of slam record as well, when you're looking at how they're going up the rankings. To be a top thirty player and not have picked up a lot of those points at a slam actually encourages me quite a lot in many ways. Like it means you're yeah. not just flu- fluking one slam or a massive event and getting loads of points, you know, you're being pretty consistent at the lower levels week in, week out. And that, that's kind of what I mean. I, I think there's a solid base to kind of build on. Um, and if you can translate that into best of five sets tennis, which seems to be the big problem for, you know, a lot of guys now, you think about team finally winning a slam at 27. It, it took him a long time to develop as a, a top best of five sets player. Um, so perhaps that, that sort of trajectory we should be there. That kind of endurance fitness does come with age as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. You know, the top end of the scale, marathon runners are peaking about 36, 37. Um, and then it's the same with five sets. I think it does take time for your body to, to adjust to that kind of endurance. Um, kind of coming back to Abidami, I mentioned there that Arena Sabalenka um, won her 15th match in a row. I've completely forgotten the name of the Russian girl she beat in the final. She absolutely smashed her. Um, but she was not someone I had heard of before. Um, Kudamatova. So, excuse me? Victoria Kudamatova. Oh, she, yeah. She, funnily that. enough, she's the player who I sent you earlier. It was her coach who was complaining. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the real, the real big win was, was the, the win over Sophia Kennan. I mean, she, she blew Kennan away um, in the... Is that not right? Who did she be? Who did she... That was Zachary Sac- beat her, didn't she? Oh, no, it wasn't Zachary. She... She yeah, beat Zachary no, comfortably. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting my my players confused today. I don't know why. It's been a long day. <laughs> but no, she, um, we we were talking about it in the, in the WhatsApp group. You know, Sabalenka and Zachary both in really good form coming into the semi final, and Sabalenka kind of kind of battered a three and two. Like it wasn't much of a, much resistance put up. Um, Calvin Sabalenka is a player a lot of people like to talk about because she hits the ball pretty hard and. You know, on a fast court, she's pretty unstoppable. Um, what do you make of her as a player and, and in this kind of form as well? Yeah, it's like with anything in the women's game, isn't it? That you wouldn't be surprised if she, if she goes deep and wins a slam this year. But 
the, the Australian Open's always a weird one, and probably more so this year. That play, I always find, I don't know whether this is just in my own mind, that form players going into the tournament with form is less valid than players going into any of the other slams with form. In that you see, um, I've seen a few players over the years who have looked really good going into it, won a tournament before or finished the previous year well, and then it just doesn't happen. Whereas Wimbledon, US, French, if you go in in form, you tend to do well in the actual tournament as well. Um, mm. That's not saying that she won't do well. I'm, I'd find, I think she probably is going to do well uh, in this tournament, um, mainly because she's got a lot of tennis in her that people, other people haven't. The consensus seems to be that... Um... She, she's someone who, for whom a fast court is kind of not a prerequisite, but certainly favours her. Um, I'm thinking Lintz is quite fast usually, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure sure about Estrava. Abu Dhabi is not traditionally a very quick place, is it? I mean, the courts are usually pretty slow there. Um, Australia will probably be similarly slow. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, not, I'm not too sure. I'm thinking about recent years in Australia. Has it been quite slow recently? There's been a bit of a... It's always been a bit of a conjecture that, that it was always this sort of conspiracy that they specifically made the courts fast for Federer, um, <laughs> um, which, which always seemed a bit far-fetched to me. But then I think it was last year. Did Federer play? The, he played the Aussie last year, didn't he? And there was a lot of talk yeah. that the courts were really slow. And again, the conspiracy theorists were saying that he wasn't happy about it and voiced his concerns <laughs> as to how slow the courts were. But... Again, the, the heat plays a factor. Um, when it's hot, the ball flies through the air a lot more, so that can affect things. And it's tough to get a reading on how fast the courts are when it's the, when it is so hot as well. So, I think the other thing that's quite interesting about Sabalenka, when you look at her Grand Slam history, she fourth round at the U.S. Open was her best result in 2018. I remember this match quite well because she played Naomi Osaka there if I remember rightly. Okay. And that was the year Osaka won her first slam. So both of them were getting to the fourth round of a slam for the first time. These two girls at the time that people were saying, these are the two girls who are going to dominate the women's game going forward. And then you had Osaka go on and win the tournament. And Sabalenka, okay, she's been around, she's been pretty consistent in terms of being around the top 10 beyond that. Um, but hasn't got, to that stage of a slam again, I, th- I find that quite interesting because they really—it was a really good match. Like they took a lot out of each other, um, and I, I do think Sabalenka is someone. She, I think she's world number seven now, or something like that. At the minute, she's definitely top ten. Uh, her form outside of the slams is fantastic. She should be going into slams as someone people fear, and then gets to them and just doesn't quite happen. I, I just—I find it hard to believe it's not going to happen. But you've got—you've got players like that, don't you? you know you've got uh, Svitolina. Pliskova, you know, there is certainly like a mental block that some of these players have when you consider it's not like the men's and you've got this excuse, yeah. okay, you've got to play best of five. It, it must be a sort of mental thing that kind of overwhelms you, but she's still yeah. pretty young and I, I think she will get there personally. I, I see her as someone who will win slams. I, I wonder whether just kind of, and I'm kind of thinking on the hoof a little bit and just looking at her record, whether she's someone who wants to play every day. You know, yeah. because she is young and because of the game that she plays, the game that she plays is quite instinctive almost. And I wonder whether going to a slam and, and that, you know, it is a completely different pace, isn't it? Playing and then training the next day and then playing. I wonder whether that just isn't something she's adapted to yet. 
it, it, it's an underrated factor what it's like having that day to think about matches as well. I know she hasn't been in that many big matches in her career, but I, I look at someone like Svitolina, you know, she what did she go into the quarterfinals of the French last year? Heavy favourite to yeah. reach the semi-finals. Everyone else dropping out the tournament pretty much. Kenin, I think, and Kvitova were the two other top 10 players play, left there and they were playing each other. You know, that moment you're thinking, right, someone who knows what they're doing in these slams, who's mentally right, goes on, dominates, goes through, makes, gets her job done. Svitolina goes out in straight sets. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think just that extra day of build-up, sitting there thinking, wow, this is my chance to get through, can lead to, or just like, you know, the draw opening up a little bit. You look forward to that little bit more. They all say, oh, I never look at the draw. It's nonsense. Fuck. Absolute nonsense. Absolutely. They all look at the draw. They're all thinking about it. And in best of three sets, you take your eye off the ball. There's no time to come back and recover it. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it, it is a lot of pressure. So I, I think that's a big factor. Um, it'd be interesting to see if that develops in a career. I, I'm pretty confident she'll win a slam in the next mm. two or three years. I think it's interesting as well, just kind of looking at her coaching history. You know, she's been through a lot of coaches in quite a short period of time. I think over the space of the last three years, she's she's basically had five different coaches. Um, I think I'm right in saying she's now working with her kind of long-term hitting partner, Dieter Kindleman, who I don't know a huge amount, I have to admit. Um, But that kind of suggests, not that there's a problem, but that she's recognising the need for lots of different ideas and that, that maybe she's still in a bit of a development state, phase of her career. I mean, as you say, George, she is young. And it kind of brings us quite neatly um, onto what you want to talk about, our kind of breakout young players um, for 2021, as I'm still not quite used to saying. I mean, it should first be pointed out that when you try and do this with the women's game, because I think we've stipulated under 23s, um, as is the traditional football parlance for young players. Um, <laughs> Can go to the Olympics you... as a footballer equals yes, young. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, where if you um, if you look at under twenty three in the women's game, you know you're not scoring out many names. I think half of the top ten are still under twenty three. Um, so it's quite difficult. You know, Sophia Kennan is only twenty two. Uh, Sabalenka as well. Andrea Bianca Andrescu's 20. Uh, Osaka? George, What's she? She uh, can't be much above 22. I think she's 24 off the top of my head. Is she? But, um, I thought she was 22. I might be wrong. Uh, she was born in 1997, so she's 23. Oh, in the middle of us. Yeah, so she's not under 23. <laughs> um, 97, good year for sport. Max Verstappen was born in 1997 as well. Anyway, no very reason good. that's interesting. I just know it very well at the moment. Because I just <laughs> George, who have you picked out? I mean, I know Sabalenka was on your mind anyway, but you're going to have to come up with another one now as your breakout women's player of the year. Yeah, I, I, I've got the one in mind I'm going to go for. Um, I just want to say, I know she doesn't count, but Andrescu does feel like someone I'm expecting to have a big year who's kind of dropped off the face of the earth with Did we stipulate a ranking? Like a... a no, okay, no I, I don't think so. Make, I mean, make like, your case. make your case. I wasn't going to say her, but th- I was going to go for another Canadian who I think is going to have a big year. Um, and by big year, I just mean a big rankings jump. So I'm going to go for Layla Fernandez. Actually. World number 89 at the moment, she is. I think I'm going to go for Judy Bouchard there, George. <laughs> 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 big comeback. 
I'm not sure she's under 23 anymore. Uh, she, Although... no, she, she is on your list of um, players who get a hell of a lot more column inches than their talent on tennis court deserves. Yes. Yeah. Although she, you know, she did at least have a very good year. Anyway, that, that's another conversation for another a day. But yeah, no, I, I, I like Leila Fernandez. I think I think she's a, a top ten player, a potential Slam winner, um, someone who has turned up and won big matches in the past. Um, got a kind of fearless streak to her. She's still pretty young. I think she might only be 18, 19 now. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, She's 18, yeah. 18, yeah. So, you know, obviously the other obvious one who's really young is Coco Goff. But for me to have a breakout year for Coco Goff is her winning a slam or reaching a slam final. Do you know what I mean? Really? You think, so she she gets, she gets like the semifinals of the French and the US and you go, meh, it's just a great year. No, I don't say meh, but uh, you know, she she's so good. I kind of be like, well, I wouldn't be that surprised if she won a slam before she was nineteen. Do you know what mm. I mean? Whereas I think Alayla Fernandez, she's eighty nine now. I think she can be top twenty five by the end of the year, maybe top twenty. Very good. Um, I've gone extremely rogue. Love it. I watched quite a lot of qualifying because it was all streamed, however poorly, on the um, Australian Open website. And I watched quite a lot of um, Francis Clara Burrell. Um, now, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, so I'm already <laughs> one nil down to myself. But she, she just, I just watched her in qualifying. She's net, she's, she won in qualifying. She got through. Um, she's just outside the world uh, top 200. So she's, she's nowhere. You can't argue that she's already broken through. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> she was, she was a two-time junior Grand Slam finalist. She was junior world number one. Um, and I just watched her and thought it felt like someone who was ready to compete in adult tennis. Like I always, less so in the women's game because girls develop younger. But in the men's game especially, you watch kind of good juniors. And, and I think we've seen it with a few different players and you just think, yeah, you're great, but like you haven't quite got the game smarts and you haven't quite got the physicality, um, especially in best of five. Whereas, you know, I just looked at Clara Burrell and she got to the third round of the French last year as well and beat one or two decent players. Um, Rouche, I think she beat in the first round, which is a bit of an upset. Um, so she's into the first round of the Australian again and just kind of at an age, I think she's 19, she turns 20 this year. And I just kind of watched her and, and kind of then looked at her record and, and read a bit more about her, and I just felt like this is this might be might be her moment. So honestly, I love it. Well, it's an absolute freebie because she's like two hundred in the world. So if she finishes one hundred, I'm in. <laughs> I was going to say J- James last week when I wanted to talk about this said he needed another week to think about it, and you yeah. haven't disappointed. You've spent well, all week researching. I can tell. Fe- I'm very proud fe- of you. That's a great much, answer. I very much needed a week. <laughs> Uh, Calvin, go on. Pick, pick Coco Goff and look shit. <laughs> um, I I find the, the the women's like you say for the reasons that you listed earlier that they're all quite young, quite tough to do. So rather than pick a sort of breakout one, there's one that I'm sort of interested to see how she does this year. In the um, is Anastasia Potapova, um, who when I went to in 2016, I went to the Junior Davis and Fed Cup in Budapest. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know, the Junior Davis and Fed Cup is under-16s. Um, yeah. And it was a particularly strong year. 
um, in both the men's, uh, the, the boys and the girls, and the standout players there. We were there for three days, and the standout players were definitely Felix Ogueras, Alicem, and Anastasia Potapova. And there was a huge buzz about her from the people who were watching around that. Now, she's kind of done all right since then. I think she's ranked about a hundred now. Um, yeah, she's yeah. D- she's done all right, but not quite what you'd have imagined if you'd have seen her there four years ago. But I do think that there'll be a big jump from her this year. I'd be very surprised if at least she's not in the top 40 or 50 by the end of the year. We we could do quite a... Uh, I think James is at a disadvantage here, but I was going to say we, we could kind of, throughout the year, track our... Uh, our three respective WTA stars and have a little oh, wager on. We have to do it as a percentage of ranking reduced. So okay. if, if, if Burrell goes from 200 to 100 and Potapova goes from 100 to 50, it's a draw. That would yeah. okay. be the obvious way to that, do And that's pretty fair because they're all quite far up and I, I think Fernandez will go down to around 25. So I I, I'm happy I'll, to take that. I'll, I'll just come back to that Junior Davis and Fed come for a sort of quick anecdote is that the Russian team who I think think won it i'm not sure no i don't think they did actually they might have lost in the semi-finals and they had a coach on the court with them who basically none of the players paid any attention to whatsoever for the whole time um and both it's it's normally two girls and two boys that play and the two girls just completely ignored the coach and just spoke to their parents throughout the matches and it was a quite <coughs> bizarre sight uh to watch um but yeah that's the thing what sort of stands out for me um, uh, you're right. One. They did win it. They beat Canada in the final. I'm just, I'm just finding. Is that out. the, is that the boys or the, the, the that girls? That was the, that was in the boys, the Davis Cup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember the, that the final. The, Poland were in the final. final. Poland yes, and America. And yes, the, the Poland were led by a girl yeah. named Iga Sviontek. Yeah, Very that good. was it. Yeah, there's some decent and, players in that US team as well. Amanda Anasimova, Anna, Claire Anasimova. Yeah. Kate McAnally is a kind of a player who I considered in this because she she's good friends with Coco Goff. I think they've played doubles together a few times, yeah. and I just kind of again I've watched her play a few times at various different tournaments. I think she played at Wimbledon first round last year, maybe oh the year before, sorry. Um, and again, a player who I kind of looked at and thought mm, you should probably be be ranked a little bit higher. I can't think where she is now in the world. She's one, two, three, hundred twenty-three, but. Yeah. Anyway, I just yeah. just got to get that on record in case she like you know gets to the semis of Wimbledon or something. That <laughs> I mentioned her at some point. Um, should we should we move on to the men's um, and yeah. then we can wrap things up? Uh, George, I went to you first last time. Maybe I'll go first this time because I've had this in my head for a while and I accidentally outed him earlier. <laughs> Sebastian Corder got to the um, final in Delray Beach last. Have I picked yours? That no, I, I just can't believe you're not taking Alcaraz. You go on about this guy so much. Well, no, He's got to the first round of Australia. <laughs> you're ditching him at the, the starting post. I've, al- I've already got him. Like, if he if he wins the Australian Open, <laughs> I have already tipped him. Like, I have on record already made him part of my prediction, so I don't need to. Yeah, Carlos Alcaraz, go look him up. He's great. Go look up my interview with his coach, Juan Carlos Ferreira. He's, he's also great, um, but he's also in quarantine, so I'm not that he's going to have a great, great couple of weeks. He's in quarantine, and he doesn't tend to deal well with it, I understand. Um, anyway, so I've gone for Sebastian Corder. Uh, 
partly because he's got an interesting story. You know how much I like a good story. Um, his father is Petter Corder, uh, who won the 1998 Australian Open, uh, which is somewhat under a shadow because he got banned for doping about six months later. Um, he tested positive. That, that is a, that's not why you're backing his son, though, I hope. Well, you know, <laughs> got good contacts. <laughs> well, and also, you know, if, if anyone's got a win at all costs attitude, it's Petter Corder. <laughs> um, and, and to be fair, his, his mother's also a former professional tennis player. His sisters are both pro golfers. So he's got like hand eye coordination coming out of everywhere. Um, he got to the fourth round of the French last year, and then Rafa actually destroyed him. But there's no shame in that. Um, he was. Is he, he the one he, who named the cat after Rafa? Yeah, that is yeah. him, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There were there were a few odd stories flying around last year, um, and yeah, but he he lost to Hubie in the final. But he beat John Isner. He beat John Isner twice. I know it's not that big a deal, but it's something. He beat Tommy Paul. Um, he's just. I just feel like. <laughs> And in the context of his father's misdemeanors, this means nothing. I feel like he's made a big <laughs> step forward in a short period of time. Um, he, he just, everything seems to have got better. Um, he's quite an exciting player. He's about to crack the top 100 if he, if he gets through a round or two. Um, he's not uh, playing the, obviously because he's playing in Delray Beach, so it meant he couldn't go to qualifiers. And I'm, trying to remember whether he's playing the Australian Open or not, because I think he might not have got in on ranking. But as we know, the entry lists are nightmarish. George, you're making your face. You say Corder's not... Yeah, I think Corder's sitting out the Australian Open. Actually, yeah. That. I think he is, which is a shame. But that's that. But I've got Alcaraz, so I have a different horse. George, do you want to pick out your... No, Calvin, you, did, you went last. Calvin time, should like, go next, yeah. Um... I'm looking for big, big years from the two Canadians, Shapovalov and particularly Oger LCM, as he's got a new setup, a new coach. But I expect a big year from uh, Humbert as well. I expect Humbert mm. will break the top 10 this year um, and perhaps make the latter stages of a slam. Well, what, what makes you so sure about him in particular? Um, just because he. He's got a pretty complete game. He's a great volleyer, big serve, big lefty serve, um, good temperament as well for, especially for a Frenchman um, <laughs> who um, are notoriously temperamental. The French tennis players, um, yeah. and he just looks to be. I thought the back end of last year, he looked to be sort of comfortable in his game um, and ready to make a move. I think he won that tournament, didn't he? Where did he win the tournament? Was it he beat uh, Dan Evans? Rotterdam, uh, maybe? Yeah, I, I was going to say somewhere like that. Yeah. Yeah, so. It wasn't Rotterdam. Antwerp. 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 One of the diamonds, wasn't it? Rotterdam or anywhere. But, yeah, I think he's just. He looked. He looked at the end of last year, he looked like somebody who was ready to take the next step up, and he was already sort of just around 30 in the world. So I think we might see a bit of ranking movement this year when all the points change and drop points drop off in March. Uh, and he's in a good spot to make those moves, I think. When Cecinato finally drops out of the top five. Well, and Berrettini <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, George, who's your, your under-23 player of the year prediction? Uh, I, I'm going to go for an Italian on that theme, um, not Berrettini or Cecinato, but I'm going to go for Lorenzo Mazzetti. 
Um, yeah. He was someone I was very, very impressed with in the clay last year, beat Vavrinka, um, had a couple of good tussles with some good players there, having come through qualifying in Rome. Didn't get to be involved in the French Open, if memory serves. He didn't even get a wild card into qualifying, I think. Wow. Um, I can't remember why they didn't give him one, but because the cutoff was before, obviously, and Rome was pushed so close to it, they, they didn't even afford him one kind of a last-minute wild card into uh, qualifying. But his ranking's up sufficiently that he'll make it in that anyway. And next year, I, I just fancy him to have a massive clay court season. I think we kind of <laughs> spoke a bit about him last year where we said, you know, his backhand, because yeah. it's such a big wind-up, might not be good on other surfaces. Um, but I think he's something like 115, something like that at the minute. Um, and he didn't qualify for Australia, but I just fancy him to have a really good clay swing and bump up to around top 40 next year. And yeah, he that's lost, a pretty he lost, big rise. He lost the Dutchman Bottich, Bottich van der Zandersloop, um, yeah. which is obviously a big name. Just that would have been that that would have been a very fiery match, I imagine. Because, um, <laughs> no, really? there, there, yeah, there were a couple of tempers on court there. <laughs> well, um, Van der Zandersloop is into the main draw because he, he won all the way through, so one to watch maybe. Um, but Mazzetti, by the way, uh, if you didn't see it, I, I did see this today. Uh, he has gone to Turkey uh, to play a challenger because he didn't get through to uh, the Australian Open. Um, he beat uh, a Serbian guy called Petrovic today, including um, an underarm serve winner on set point, which is just incredibly, uh, incredibly flair. Um, especially when, you know, he was winning 85% of points on first serve. He could have just hit a first serve, um, but decided to hit the, the, uh, the underarm. Well, well that, that doesn't beat, sorry, Joe, just dip in there. That doesn't beat the back end of last year at a challenger where somebody won a match love and love and on match point up. Uh, served an underarm ace. Oh, <laughs> again, you wonder, like, <laughs> yeah, that's very mean. And I think so he was playing. Mean. I think he was playing like a junior alternate as well. Like, I think his opponent oh, was like sixteen. So, yeah, Bond villain I levels. Walked, I bet he walked off and said, "What? It was the right move. It was the best thing to do at the time." Ill learning. Yeah, character yeah. building. Can I wrap up, George, or have you got one last thing to say? Oh, I was just going to quickly say, because as ever, we've not got through the order of play, but I, I just wanted to raise the two other mild news stories that have been away from Australia. Davis Cup expansion today. Um, they're going to have two yeah, new I, host I cities. Think we might get into that next week, because we're not going to have much to talk about. Yeah. And the other one was Big Zverev splitting with Federer's management company. That was something we spoke about towards the end of last year quite a lot. Yeah, we, and we kind said of foreshadowed Federer, that quite well. Yeah, we said Federer was going to have to face big questions on it and lo and behold, they've he split before the first tournament Federer's going to be involved in and before Zverev's even going to be involved in one this year. So that that's come as no surprise. I just thought I'd flag those up quickly. Smart moves all round. Um, if you're listening on the podcast and you made it this far, well done. Very impressed. Uh, please do leave us a review and a rating. Give us a follow on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod. Um, or if you're listening on Locker Room, you can go and find us uh, on a podcast anywhere, really. If you're listening on a podcast, come find us on Locker Room, 9pm every Monday night. We'll see you back here over then. Thanks, Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.